Hi, everybody. Starting to feel like church in here. My goodness, this is exciting. Some of you I haven't seen in a while. I'm so glad you're here. And all of our friends who are watching online, I'm so glad that you're here to, uh, if this is the first time you've been here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. Our prayer is that you always find something meaningful in what we do. So, um, so good to have you. So good. Um, a couple things I want to say before I kind of get rolling here. First, um, we have been monitoring uh, the um, pandemic situation locally and uh, nationwide, and I just want to say up front, um, just so that you're aware, we've got a plan if we need to, okay? Um, as of right now, um, we don't feel like we need to make any uh, adjustments, but we do have a plan in case we, we do need to, and we have been talking about it as a staff, so just keep that in mind. Um, at the same time, the thing that I want to say is, I am so proud of you guys. I know wearing the masks isn't much fun, but you have loved your neighbor as yourself, and I'm so grateful that you're choosing to do that. And just the response of all of you has made the, made the leading of this church so much easier, and I'm so grateful for your efforts to do that. Um, I'm just proud of Thrive. Um, it's the other reason why we've asked everybody to register, by the way. Uh, you, m uh, most of you did, which I'm, I'm so thankful for. I looked at the numbers yesterday, and I was like, yes, wow, we've got lots of folks who are coming, which is really cool. Um, but one of the reasons why we have you register isn't just for seating purposes, but also if we ever have to do contact tracing. Um, so, so far, we've not had to do that. Thank you, God, for protecting us. And so keep that in mind, uh, if you wouldn't mind registering um, when you come, that would be great. Um, the last thing that I'm going to say about this is go keep praying. <laughs> Just keep praying for your, for your church family, asking God to keep all of us healthy and to keep us safe. Um, the other thing that I want to I quick say <clears throat> is that over the last, I don't know, four or five weeks, six weeks, I guess, uh, there's been this flurry, and I mean flurry of activity to try to get this place set up for us. Now, you'll notice there's like cords all over the place, and um, there's uh, a couple of people that you need to thank for that. One is uh, Pastor Dan, and uh, um, uh, yes, I, I think that's appropriate. Uh, Robert and Randy for doing all this crazy work. I mean, Dan was underneath here this week, covered in dust and Lord knows what else, and uh, I'm so thankful for him and his effort to do that. So if you're watching online and you appreciate all the stuff that you're seeing digitally, make sure you hit the love button or something um, because um, these guys have done an amazing job and I'm, I'm very grateful for them. Um, had I known that I needed to be camera ready, I think I would have spent more time in the gym than in the, um, in the Bible classes. But anyway, here we are. So, um, All right, today I am starting a new series called Now What? <clears throat> and no, it's not about the election, <laughs> right? Because with a title like that, you, you might wonder, and given what we've seen this week, my goodness, um, now I think a lot of us are asking, now what uh, kind of a thing? Uh, but over the last year or so, we've been talking about um, discipleship and the presence of God. Have, have you noticed that? That's been kind of a theme that's run through a lot of the stuff that we've been um, discussing uh, from the pulpit. And the mission of all churches is to go and make disciples. Now, you can have a group of people who gather together on Sunday 
and not choose to make disciples. That's just not a church. I don't know what it is, but it's not a church. A church is a body of people who make disciples, and that has two components to it. One is that we become better disciples ourselves, and we help other people find and follow Jesus, okay? So we've got this uh, kind of two-pronged approach, two components, two aspects to this thing that we call church. And so this idea of making disciples kind of begs the question, though, what is a disciple? What is it? When we start talking about this, um, what, is, what is a disciple? What is discipleship? Um, some of you know that I have uh, um, this, I, I'm going to call it a side gig, but it really isn't. I, I do interviewing for a company called Chemistry Staffing that does ministry placements nationwide. And a friend of mine started the company, and he says, hey, we'd really love you to come do interviews. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be fun. So I have this opportunity to talk to all kinds of people all over the country. And one of the questions that I've found myself asking over and over, depending on the job they're interviewing for, is, you know, what is a disciple? Or what is discipleship? And very often, the answer um, kind of circles this idea of Bible study and prayer. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I think that discipleship includes both of those things. But really, is, is that what it is? Because I know a lot of people who know their Bible who don't necessarily live their Bible. Know what I'm saying? And you probably know some folks like that too. And so I, I'm, I'm confronted with this question um, very often. What is a disciple? and wrestled with that over uh, the course of, well, frankly, the course of my entire career. At the very minimum, if we took a poll, I think in this church, one of the things that we would say is that a disciple is somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus. Could, could, we, could we agree at least on that much? That Jesus taught some things, some ways to behave, and that if you're going to be a disciple at some level, at the very minimum, kind of the permission to play is that you follow the teachings of Jesus. Now, whether we fully comprehend all those teachings or not is another story, but at least we can agree, at the minimum, is that discipleship is about following the teachings of Jesus and hopefully we begin to act like him. And that's great, and I think that's true, but then there's a, there's a follow-up question. How do we get there? How do we get to that point that we're actually following those teachings? And that's where we get the idea of Bible study and prayer because you've got to actually understand these things if you're going to live it out. And, and so one of the things that you know, we've kind of landed on just as a church is that a disciple for us is somebody who slows down to hear what God is saying. And understand, and you've heard me say this before, sometimes that's in his word. It's usually in his word, but not always. Sometimes it's the, um, through the words of someone else, somebody that you know, somebody that you love. I am continually astonished that the voice of God often sounds like Lisa Trelore. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's amazing to me. And sometimes my kids, and sometimes my friends, and sometimes I have choice words for my friends. But the point is, is that sometimes God speaks through them, not just through his word. Now, generally speaking, not generally, always, um, whatever God is speaking through someone else is going to agree with his word. 
Okay, so that's one of the reasons why we do Bible studies. We, we need to understand what the word says so that we can test the things that we hear from others. Sometimes God speaks to us through circumstances. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm too busy to listen, right? And then, doggone it, that same thing comes up again and again and again and again. And I'm not the speediest runner in the race, but eventually I get, I get the idea that maybe God's trying to get my attention about this particular thing, whatever it happens to be. But to do that, I have to slow down to hear God. And so some of us have taken up this idea of journaling because when I journal, um, whether I'm typing, which I don't typically, I usually um, handwrite it out, I'm an analog guy, just FYI. Um, but that slows me down enough in order to hear what God is saying. Because sometimes I'm on to the next thing, 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 and I miss the fact that God's going, whoa, 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 hold up. I want you to listen to this. So I slow down long enough to hear God. And then I process the things that I hear. And, and I do this in community with other people. Some of it's with our staff. Uh, some of it is with a, a, a group of, of pastors that I meet with. Sometimes it's with my wife, sometimes it's with my best friend, but the point is, is that I'm processing the things that I'm hearing. I think, I think, I think I'm sensing God saying this. Does that just sound, you know, odd to you, or does that make sense? And they will either help me confirm or deny it. And yes, sometimes they look at you like you grew a second head, right? I mean, but the point is, is that you're processing it, you're trying to understand these things that you're hearing, whether it's in the word or whether it's one of these other sets of circumstances and you're, you're saying, I think this is what God is up to. What do you think? And it's amazing to me that how God will speak to other people to either confirm or to not deny or to move me in a different direction or keep on the same direction to encourage me down that path. This idea of discipleship is to to process those things in community. Because the one thing that I am absolutely certain of is I am really, really good at self-deception. I am a pro-level self-deceiver. And I don't want to make that mistake. I actually want to hear what God has to say and to hear the truth of it. And I want to deceive myself. And so I need others to help me with that. And then the third piece of this, and, and this, is, <laughs> this is so crucial, is to actually respond to the things that I hear. The things that we hear from God and the things that we process from God are things that we are supposed to respond to. Very often, it's action. Sometimes that action is being still. I'm so good at that. How about you? Yeah, none of us really are. I mean, we want to go and get problems and, and take care of them right away. I, I'm, I'm a fixer. I want to go fix things. And sometimes God says, mm, slow down. I'm going to go fix this. Okay. Um, then help me with that too, Lord, because I, I need that help. So how do we get to this idea of discipleship? Slow down to hear, hear God, process the things that he says, preferably in community. 
and respond to him. And, and so we've kind of put it in these simple terms, listen and respond. A disciple is someone who listens and responds. A disciple is someone who listens and responds. A disciple of Jesus listens to the voice of God and responds to him. It's that simple. It's not easy. And guess what? There is a learning curve. And depending on you and your personality, that learning curve might require some carabiners and some ropes because it's steep to get up that hill. But it's listening and responding is idea of discipleship. That's, that's it. That's it. And I don't, I don't know how you grew up, but I didn't know that. I didn't hear that in my church growing up. I didn't understand that that's what was a disciple. I thought it was about going to church on Sunday. And uh, when I was a kid, not listening to rock music. Really? But it's more than that. It's listening to the voice of God and responding to the things that you hear. That's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And so when Thrive Church talks about disciple or discipleship, that's what we mean, okay? I want want this to be so crystal clear that you all get it. As soon as David says the word disciple, he's talking about listening and responding. I want you to make that connection, connect the dots, okay? Now, maybe um, to to some of you, this is new. This is a new concept, this idea of listening and responding. Wait, 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 wait. God actually talks to me? Yeah, God's talking a lot. The problem is we got so much static. Got to learn how to tune in a little bit. Now you have digital radios that'll do it for you. But when I was a kid, remember that? You're driving along and you had to do the dial and you hear the and your dad was like, would you find a station and just stay there? Yes. Yes, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Kids today, digital, plug it in. Nah, you don't understand what static sounds like. But that's what it's like with us spiritually very often is that we, we don't hear the voice of God because we're just too doggone busy. And there's so many other distractions or so many other things. In fact, I'm, one of the things I'm thankful for with the pandemic is that it has required me to slow down. I don't have as many distractions as I did before. Are you feeling that too? Yeah. Some of you are terrified of being alone with your own thoughts. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I, I get it. So this may be new for you, this idea of, of listening and responding to God, of being the central idea of discipleship. Or maybe you've just kind of dabbled in it. Maybe you've heard, you know, myself or, or Dan or James or somebody talk about this, and you're like, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what it'd be like if I just kind of stopped and listened. And you may have heard some things or you may have thought you heard some things because, you know, how do I know the voice of God isn't just really my voice? Have you ever wondered that? Yeah, I do that all the time. It happens. And, and so in, in my journal, if I hear something from God, I write it in red because, you know, you go red leather, red leather, red leather yellow leather, red leather yellow, no, red letter Bible, right? And you see those. And so when I hear from God, I typically try to write it down. Or if there's a Bible passage that comes to my mind very often, that means that God wants me to go look it up. And what's really interesting to me is that it's usually a verse or two before or a verse or two after that he really wants me to pay attention to. And so I write that one down in red. But there are those moments when I am listening to God and I hear something that sounds kind of like my own voice and I'm not really sure. So what I do is I actually write it down in black ink and then I put a little red dot to it just in case. Because my belief 
ultimately is that if I'm listening and responding and God has my best interest at heart, he will confirm or deny that if that's my voice. Does that make sense? Write it down. Put a date on it so that you can go back and and learn. So maybe you're just dabbling with all of this stuff and you're just saying, "Eh, I don't know, maybe. Maybe you're practicing regularly this idea of listening to God and maybe you're spending a lot of time waiting. (laughs) That's fun, (laughs) right? And you're, you're doing this and and so this series, what, we, what I, I really want to do is, is to, to take this idea that you're connecting with God, you're hearing him, you're seeing him working somewhere. And you're asking the question, now what? Now what? Okay, so I've connected with God, I've heard some stuff, now what do I do? You know, what should I expect? What, what's going on here? What, what are the kinds of things that we can, because I can sit here and talk to you about the presence of God all day, every day, and you may be in the presence of God and not even realize that I've got to give you some idea of what to expect once you are in or have been in the presence of God. And so when you ask the question, that is a legit question to ask. Now what? God's not afraid of your questions either, by the way. We're going to see that next week. So what's next? What should we expect? And so in this series, I want to offer some thoughts on, what, on what's next when you've connected with God. And so today I'm going to draw your attention to the life of a man named Abraham. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Genesis 12. That's where we're going to be. His life is kind of a guide. Um, for whatever reason, I, I still haven't figured this out, but I've always been drawn to the story of Abraham and I think part of the reason is um, God chooses him and he, he blows it a lot. He's kind of like the Old Testament version of Peter. You know, Peter, you, you read about him in the New Testament, he's, he's very real, he makes mistakes. Abraham's kind of that way for me as well. And his, his story, um, Abraham's story, is marked by um, a series of agreements that God makes with him. We call them covenants. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this as we go along. Um, and it's not just a covenant that he has with Abraham alone, but it's also his family. You know, his son Isaac and Jacob and ultimately the entire nation of Israel. And so he has these series of covenants, these agreements. And the other thing that I've noticed about Abraham is in many respects, He's the first story in the Bible where we actually get a lengthy look at how God interacts with humanity. So in, in Genesis, um, you know, God has this uh, um, interaction with Adam and Eve, right? But it's, it's not real long. I mean, it's, it's basically one chapter, a couple of verses here and there. Uh, and of course, Cain and Abel and Noah come to mind. And yes, God has a relationship with these individuals. But when it comes to a relationship over a period of time where God is directly interacting with Abraham himself, this is the first. I mean, God actually visits him at one point. And so Abraham is this picture, uh, his story is a picture into, God, into how God um, interacts with humanity. It's very relational, this story. Lots of time. Um, several different con- um, conversations. But I will point this out. Um, I also noticed there's lengths of time where God is silent too. I hate when God's silent, by the way. It drives me a little crazy. I don't want to hear from God every day. 
And friends I know, they, they have that. But it's not unusual for God to be silent because sometimes God gives you time and space to process the last thing he told you. Um, so Genesis chapter 12 is where we're gonna be. Now in, in the previous chapter, just for a little context, we get a, a little bit of Ab- uh, Abraham's uh, family story. So uh, God actually changes his name to Abraham. His, his uh, original name was Abram. And Abram's um, father started to move the entire family from a place in Mesopotamia, kind of where the Tigris and Euphrates River are, modern-day Iraq. And he begins to move uh, closer to the land at the time was called Canaan, what we would call Israel. But for whatever reason, and the text doesn't tell us, they stopped, not quite halfway. They stopped in a particular city, and for whatever reason, again, they settled there. And Abram's father dies. All of the family then goes to Abram because he's the eldest son. So he becomes a patriarch of the entire family. And so here we have this story um, where they've stopped midway, they settled there, and the patriarch dies, and so now there's a new patriarch. But please understand that the land of Canaan was always part of the plan. It was always something that this family was looking at doing. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 12. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, it's fine. I'll have it on the screen for you. But here it is. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew, by the way. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That's the city that they had settled in. 75 years old, and he's just getting started. How are you doing? Right? So God calls Abram, and he makes him a big promise. A big promise. Would you agree? Yeah. All nations will be blessed through you. But I want you to notice verse 1. I want to go back there for a second. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go from these things to the land that I will show you. Didn't tell him what the land is at the time. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd want to put everything in a moving van and just go somewhere. I would kind of like to know the destination. Um, but because Canaan was always part of the plan, I'm, I'm you know, part of, part of me wonders if, if that was in the back of Abram's mind. No way of knowing because the text doesn't tell us. But go from your country. Go from that physical place in which you live. You know, you know the countryside. I mean, he's kind of nomadic. I mean, he's got herds and flocks and he knows that particular area. Some of you know this particular area well because you grew up here. You know where um, certain parts of the summer are cooler than others, right? 
Um, you, know to, you know where to go when the tornadoes come. <laughs> and you know where the best food is. And you have your favorites. And you know the places to stay away from, the parts of town where you might not be welcome, unfortunately. You know these things. You know the stores that you like. What would happen if you left all those behind? I remember when we were um, getting ready to move um, to Kentucky for, se- for seminary, and I remember asking my wife at one point, I'm like, you know, how do you feel about making this move? And she kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? How do I feel? I don't know, I don't feel anything. So I realized, okay, my wife is much more of a concrete thinker, not an abstract thinker. And so I said, okay, what are a couple of things that you want to know before we move? And she goes, oh, why didn't you ask me that before? I want to know where the grocery store is. I want to know where our house is in relation to the school that you're attending. And I want to know where the local library is. Place means something to each of us where you go. And that's exactly what God is saying here is I want you to go from your country. That familiarity that you have with the locale that you've been in for a period of time. Go from there. And then he says, go from your people. Your people. These are the relationships that you have. Go from your relationships. Um, that's a little scary. It's a little scary to go away from those relationships, those things that you are, those people that you're comfortable with. Go away from those. No, he doesn't leave everybody behind. He takes his nephew and his household and the servants and all that kind of a thing. But still, go from your people, he says. And then finally, he says, go um, and your, uh, go from your father's household. Well, it's not his father's household anymore. It's his. Because his father has passed away. He is the eldest son. Therefore, he is now the patriarch. Go from your father's household. There's some evidence to suggest here that in uh, ancient Near East, all of the households had a very, a very specific shrine to um, the family gods family deities. And so the suggestion here is not just to go from your father's household, but to leave your family's deities behind. It's interesting. So that thing that you worshiped, yeah, you're going to leave that behind too. Things that you take comfort in, you're going to leave that. And so um, leave what you know so that you can receive your blessing. And isn't that true? Is sometimes We have to give things up. But then there's something truly wondrous that's on the other side of that. I I saw this, um, uh, probably a meme or something along those lines, but if you're going across on the monkey bars, sometimes you gotta let go in order to grab onto the next one, right? Gotta give things up in order to receive the blessing. So my question for you is, how how would you feel about that, (laughs) right? How would you feel about being asked to do those things. Now, before you answer, I want to point out one other thing. I want to look at um, this passage in Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, uh, that's Peter, by the way, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Some of you remember the old version, make you fishers of men, right? At once they left their nets and followed him, which seems a little odd. 
And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That just seems a little strange, right? I mean, wouldn't his father protest it a little bit? Like, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? Taking my boys. Got work for them to do. It's an odd story. It really is. These people gave up their jobs and just left. And I remember um, back in, uh, it was probably the late 80s, early 90s, there was a, a Christian artist who had a song called For the Sake of the Call. Talked about this story, right? That Jesus comes up and he says, follow me. And they go, oh yes, we'll follow you because some kind of spiritual thing happened in their lives in that moment. Well, it's not quite like that. A little history is helpful here. In Jewish culture, all boys learned Torah. First five books of the Bible. Most of them had it memorized by the time they were in their early teens. <laughs> Whole thing. But only the elite students, the truly scholastic ones, um, were permitted to follow a rabbi, to follow a particular teacher. Everybody else kind of washes out. And it's a rite of passage that all the Jewish boys went through. And so when Jesus called, they willingly went. Why? Because it was a Jewish rabbi calling them to the highest thing that they could possibly do with their lives is to follow a rabbi and learn the things that he was teaching, to become like that rabbi. Zebedee, the son of James and John, probably was telling the boys, get out of the boat, get out of the boat, get out of the boat. Because as a fisherman, he would have washed out. And he knew that his boys had washed out. But now they were given an opportunity to do the highest good that they possibly could do in Jewish culture. This is a big deal to be called by a Jewish rabbi. So the issue here is cultural, not spiritual. Leave the things you know to be a blessing, to have the blessing of being a disciple. And what's really interesting in the next um, three to four chapters, there's all kinds of things that occur for these disciples. So if Thrive is going to get discipleship right, there is something that we must understand. We have to understand this as a church, that ultimately, the call of God is always to adventure. Always, always to adventure. There is no time where God calls and it's not to some type of an adventure. Always. You wanna know now what? Adventure is the answer. Now, by the way, just in case you want to know, um, with Abram, who becomes Abraham, so he gets called to go to Canaan. What happened to him? Well, he moves his entire family. They get there. There's famine. He has to move again down to Egypt, um, has his life threatened, and then he's all kinds of deception and intrigue, and then they move back, and when he moves back, um, he has to deal with raiders, and then he has to go rescue his nephew with armed forces. An entire first or ancient Near Eastern tactical unit goes in and takes care of business. You know how this goes, right? And then, oh yeah, he might have to sacrifice his son. And the disciples, yes, they're called. They leave the nets. What are they called to? Oh, in the next three to four chapters, there's a storm. Jesus calms it. There's demons and pigs. And there's uh, a woman who gets healed in a really spectacular way. And oh, yes, by the way, he raises a little girl from the dead. That sounds like an adventure to me. And so when we talk about 
Jesus. Adventure is normal in a life with God. Adventure is to be expected. And sometimes I think it's like, oh, you know, you follow Jesus, the magic wand, everything's all right. Look, if you find that kind of Jesus, go worship that because the real Jesus, the one I know, is a pain in the neck sometimes. It's true. So in the presence of God, please do not be surprised if life becomes interesting. Always the case. We are signing up for something truly epic. Truly epic. An adventure implies something new and something different. Challenge and discomfort, I've got to be honest, but also reward and blessing. Abraham got a new place, a new people, a new God, but he had to leave the old ones in order to receive the new ones. Is it hard? <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it easy? No. Worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The call of God is always to an adventure. Sometimes that adventure is external. Sometimes it's like Abraham. You have to go to another place. Um, maybe, maybe not Africa, because that's what everybody's afraid of. God's going to call you to Africa, right? It might not be that, but he might call you to Oklahoma. And all I'm saying is, was it hard? Yes. Was it worth it? Oh, God, yes. It might be an external process that you have to go through, but I will say this, that no matter what, it is almost always internal, something that goes on inside of you. There's an adventure inside your own life. Your inner person goes on an adventure it will deal with your beliefs, it will deal with your values, and therefore it will deal with your identity. You want to go on a, on a journey with God, it's going to deal with those things. It's going to deal with your motivations. Let me tell you, that one's fun. When you start looking in the mirror going, man, I'm motivated by this stuff and I'm not really proud of that. Mm. But the point is, is that that's part of the adventure for you to deal with some of those things that you need to deal with. And as C.S. Lewis pointed out so brilliantly, God is not safe, but he is good. That you can count on. And some of the emotional junk you're carrying hurts you tired. Carrying it around with you. Mm. But he is good. And that stuff that you're keeping is keeping you from that adventure. Is it risky? <laughs> yeah, it's risky. But let me tell you, one of the greatest truths that you'll ever understand, ever understand, is that life is risky. You want to know how risky it is? No one gets out alive. It's all risk. But you get to choose what risk that you take, and wouldn't you rather do it with someone who has your best interest at heart? And that's God. Life with Jesus is always a call to adventure. And I really think that if you want to know what's next, or now what, it's to expect some type of an adventure in your life for your life to get interesting. Let's pray. Jesus, you are calling us, even in this moment, you're calling all people to yourself. 
you are calling us to an adventure to leave behind the things that are familiar, our nets, maybe some of our relationships. <laughs> Suspect uh, a lot of that. Some of our preconceived ideas. And you're calling us to something greater than we could possibly imagine. But Lord, that's discipleship. And that's where we become more like you when we're with you through all of those things. And Lord, as, wish, as much as I wish it were easy, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so my prayer is for every person who's gathered here today, who've listened to this, and maybe have not seen the scriptures as a call to an adventure, would see it as such today and make the choice to say, yes, I'm going to risk that whatever that is. And God, I trust that you're going to speak to them in a way that they understand because that's the God you are. And for the people who are watching online too, I know that in, in the quiet of their own homes, you are still whispering something to them. You're calling them to an adventure or something they can't even see right now, but there's a little piece of their heart that it's, it's excited about it. It's, it's resonating just a little bit. Yes, they're scared, but at the same time, all of us hear the voice of God and understand that you have our best interests at heart and you want so much more and we've settled for far less. I pray, Lord, that we would hear and we would respond. Thank you for that call. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.